so I let you focus on the sensations at the nose for a while. And then I ask you to expand that. And then I ask you to see if you could make that expanded area to be really clear and vivid like it was at the nose. How did that how did that work for you? Yes? It worked and I was able to do it, but I found it Tiring. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. That's it. It is a stretch, isn't it? Yeah. But it's the sort of thing that, well, it's a challenge, and you can you can challenge yourself. Uh, in the Buddha's very very famous meditation instructions, he didn't give a lot of detailed meditation instructions. One that probably all of you heard before. Goes that gone to the forest, to the foot of a tree or an empty hut. He sits down cross legged, placing his mindfulness before him, and mindfully he breathes in, mindfully he breathes out. When he breathes in a long breath, he knows he breathes in a long breath. When he breathes out a long breath, he knows he breathes out a long breath. When he breathes in a short breath, he knows he breathes in a short breath. Breathes out a short breath. He knows he breathes out a short breath. This is a lot of very focused awareness, and you know, it's not dull. It's very clear. And then he says, experiencing the whole body as he breathes in, he trains himself. Experiencing the whole body as he breathes out, he trains himself. And this is a, a very good practice. To Expand your awareness, and you can expand your awareness to include your entire body. Did you feel sensations of the breath in your arms and hands? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. How many of you did? Uh, were you surprised to find the sensations of the breath there? No, you felt them before. Okay, so if you expand that, probably won't be surprised when you find them at the tips of your ears and in your toes as well. So, but it's a stretch. And you, you, you have to actually increase the power of your conscious awareness to make yourself able to do that. And you, you, uh, until you've tried it, you have no idea how far you can go with it. It's actually quite interesting. Then I ask you to bring to bring your attention back to tight focus at the tip of the nose again. How did you find that? Anything noticeable about that that you carry comment on? It seemed easier. Easier than it was before? Mm-hmm. More, more sharper. Sharp, much sharper, yes, because you've stretched your awareness to include all that and you concentrate it all back down. You've got all that same power, but did you find, uh, you know, I didn't actually ask you during the meditation, but I hope you remember to continue to be aware of what's going on in your mind. Did you by any chance notice a change in the background thought activity of your mind as we expanded awareness? It kind of, there wasn't really a lot of mental room left for mm-hmm. other thoughts. And then when you came back to your nose, maybe you noticed that it took a while before that started to come back again. There was a period of greater mental quiet 
as a result of that. Yes? Well, um, when I start breathing deeply and I really get into this meditative uh, meditation state, uh, I have this distinct physical feeling of warmth inside of my skull. Mm -hmm. uh, does it happen frequently? Uh, there are a variety of sensations like that that do happen. Yes, and uh, not to dwell on any of them in particular. They do vary a lot from person to person. Um, but yes, it's not unusual to feel warmth or pressure, or sometimes a pulsation, or sometimes people feel as though there's a pressure on the top of their head. And also have a very bright light appear, start to feel uh, twitches and tingles in your body or jerks. A whole variety of things like that. We'll talk a little bit about the significance of all, all of that in a few minutes. It's one of the things I did want to talk to you about. Anything else anybody has to mention? Yes. I've been working for some time with this kind of whole body yeah. uh, meditation. And I have been experiencing something different, and that is that, you know, I, I, I do go by by segments of the body. Mm -hmm. And I'm beginning to notice that the sensation originates in the mind. Aha, yes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So can you tell me something about this? Can well, you explain this? Well, tell me exactly what you mean by So if I'm yeah. focusing on, the, on, on, on my toes, for instance, uh -huh. you know, I, I begin to move my, 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 my awareness to that area. And then I, I begin to feel things there. But I, there's also like a dialogue between mm -hmm. what I'm feeling there mm -hmm. and the awareness that, that that sensation originates in the mind. Mm -hmm. I, can't, I can't tell you much more than that. Okay, so if you have your attention on your foot, and there's a dialogue and you realize that that sensation you're feeling in your foot. It's there, but it's here. It's, it's it there and here. it's here both at the same time. What about when you go back to your nose? You have the same experience. It doesn't happen there because the sensations are stronger and clearer as coming from the nose, whereas in, in your feet, they're, they're more subtle. Yeah, and it's almost like I have to direct it more, that the mind has to, has to make a greater effort to be able to notice them, mm -hmm. as opposed to I've been, I've been focusing on the breathing on the nose long enough that, it, that there's not that effort. Well, you see what will happen if you keep if you keep doing this, you know, experiencing the whole body with the breath. If you keep doing that, you will start to feel more and more sensations in your entire body that seem to ebb and flow and correspond to the breath. And then at some point, these kind of take on a life of their of their own. They uh, they they move like subtle currents through your body. Uh, most people will tend to unhesitatingly attribute all of these sensations to the body. Oh, this is there's something happening in my body. I'm feeling, I'm feeling electric currents in my body. I'm feeling energy flowing in my body, things like that. Um, it is true that sensation 
originates in the body and is interpreted and felt in the mind. But what originates in the body isn't anything like what is experienced in the mind at all. And as as this energy begins to develop in the mind, you're going to experience it in your body. And so what I think is happening with you is, is that you're recognizing right away that this has more to do with my mind than it does my body. Okay, so that's, that's good because that's true. But don't start thinking, well, it's only in my mind that I'm imagining or projecting it. Have you had thoughts like that? No. No, no you're, you're recognizing that, that the distinction between the mind and the body isn't as great and clear as, as we imagine that it is. Ultimately, your body only exists in your mind. <laughs> That's why I asked you, when you went back to the nose, it still seemed like it was in the body and, and, and not so much in the mind. But at some point, you might you might start having an insight and realizing that, well, that's in the mind too. And it will give you this, wow, maybe everything's in the mind. And it is, but you know, I'll let you discover that on your own. <laughs> yes. I really like bringing the breath you know, through the nose, through the chest, and through the diaphragm. And that's like a threesome. And I, I often wish that that could be the focus of my meditation. Maybe it could be, I don't know. I guess that's what I'm asking. Mm-hmm. But you never hear that. You hear either focusing on focusing on one. Well, one thing I'm kind of encouraging you to do here, a whole bunch of things I'm encouraging you to do without speaking them uh, explicitly, but I'll make some of them explicit. Do experiment. Your meditation aren't, instructions aren't a set of rigid rules that you absolutely have to follow. They are, uh, they are a place to begin your own process of discovery. And it's, it's reality, it's your own nature, and it's your own mind that you're in the process of discovering. So do feel free to experiment, but don't lose track of where you are and what you're doing. Now, there's some meditation practices where you visualize the air coming in through your nose and passing it on into your abdomen, and then coming back up and out again. First of all, I'll tell you physiologically, that isn't really what happens anyway. That's totally imagination. And not only that, even the degree to which air does move within the body, what, when you do that meditation, what you're experiencing isn't even the degree to which that is really happening. It's all mental projection. Uh-huh. So that's, that's why I don't particularly encourage people to start off doing that with their meditation. But you can experiment with that and see where it takes you, especially if you've done enough meditation that you realize that there is no breath anyway. There is no body anyway. This is all 
the way your mind is accounting for its experience, it, it has to account for it. So, you know, it comes up with concepts of, of air and breath and movement and body and so forth to make this whole nice, sensible story out of it. So, and it's been doing that all your life. You know, it's been making up the story of the world and the story of who you are and the story of what's happening. And, and ultimately, we want to get beyond that. So that's why I don't like for people to start out with the story of my breath coming in and going down here and there and coming out. Because that's just another story, and it's uh, in some ways even less of a true story than some of these other stories that, that we make up. But do, do feel free as you become confident that you know, you, you're capable of uh, you see, what you want to do is achieve a certain degree of control over your attention, over its movements, and over its stability. And then you want to achieve a certain degree of control over your conscious awareness so that you can keep it from slipping away and slipping into dullness, and that you can rouse it up, and you can expand it and contract it. So keeping in mind that that's what you want to do, then experiment with the different things you can do and see which ones of those help you, which ones of those are, reveal more things to you. There certainly is a feeling of a clear channel. Mm-hmm. I don't know if channel is the right word for it, but yeah. I, know, I know the air doesn't go down into you, right? I understand that. Yeah. I mean, you know what I'm saying? That there's mm-hmm. a feeling of definitely clarity yeah. coming down. Well, as if you uh, continue doing what I was talking about with Beatrice a moment ago, you're going to start feeling more energy currents moving in your body. And one mm-hmm. feeling that develops very strongly is of energy that moves up and down your spine. Mm-hmm. And because that is a naturally, spontaneously arising perception, uh, by, by visualizing the air moving in that way, you tap into that and mm-hmm. it, will, it will become stronger. There's nothing wrong with that. Just discovering that that's uh, all of those things that are there. I don't usually do that. I just mm-hmm. like how it feels when I do that. Yeah, right. it does. It feels good. That's Partly it feels good because it makes it, when you have that sort of, uh, of clear experience, it becomes easy to stay with it and it becomes easy to follow it. So what you're doing is you're having more of this kind of flow experience that we're talking about associated with it. And that's that's what makes it more enjoyable. Yes? I, uh, I got pretty sleepy during the first part of the meditation. Mm-hmm. And uh, so I opened my eyes, yeah. which can help. Good. And my gaze fell upon a, a section of the floor there. And I guess I had uh, a lingering awareness in the morning of shifting on that continuum you were talking about toward pleasure, toward yes. awareness of, of pleasant things. And I fell in love with that piece of floor. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I, I was, I, I continued to be aware of the breath and then the hands and the arms, and that became more and more vivid. But at the same time, my, my gaze was on this luscious, almost velvety piece of polished tile, and I got such a such a, a rush of, uh, 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 not a rush, a continuing rush of pleasure from mm-hmm. that. And now, was I getting lost in interesting things there? Um, uh. It was certainly pleasant. 
And I don't know whether it was significant, but it kept me awake. And that's its significance. It was pleasant and it kept you awake. That's good. Thank you. I wanted to ask, is, is there a natural progression that occurs after you uh, get a steady focus in your practice that then it expands out to your whole body? Yes. And you still feel anchored, but mm -hmm. you're more connected with your body and everything else. Absolutely. There certainly is. Yeah. I mean, I, I can suggest that you expand your awareness, but if I never suggested that, and, and as you continue to meditate, and as your awareness, as your it becomes more powerful, it's going to naturally expand. It's going to, it's going to, you, you can't really keep it from. In that sequence that I was quoting you from the sutras, uh, it's hard to know whether he was describing what happens naturally and spontaneously because it does. It happens naturally and spontaneously that way. Or whether he was suggesting it as a practice, uh, which it is a very useful and powerful practice. But actually, I don't suppose it really makes any difference. When it begins to happen by itself, that's the right time to start doing it deliberately as a practice, too. But yes, it, it does. Everybody, everybody experiences this eventually. That awareness just—you just can't keep that consciousness down anymore. It's starting to grow and take everything in. So, did everyone get a chance to get the uh, handout? That uh, you don't have one. I just want to make sure everybody has one. I don't know if any of you have had a chance to look at it. See if any questions arose as a result of it. Just wanted to shift the conversation a little bit towards what is the role that that joy PT plays in meditation? Where does it occur? Why is it important? Um, in the uh, traditional description of the stages by which meditation develops, it shows up when concentration becomes very strong. Uh, it shows up about the same time, uh, shows up very strongly and consistently about the same time when concentration becomes effortless that people will experience certain degrees of, of TT before that. Whenever somebody has a period where their concentration is pretty strong, it can, uh, it can manifest. Um, before you have acquired much skill in meditation, it's completely unpredictable when it happens. It will just be an episode where your concentration is good and uh, PT or some of its other manifestations show up. When it does show up, it doesn't always manifest as joy and happiness. I mean, eventually it will, but a lot of times it shows up in other forms first. Strange sensations, 
and movements of the body. And you may, you may think, well, what on earth does this have to do with joy? A PD means joy. Why are strange sensations? Some of the sensations are lights. You're sitting there with your eyes closed and you might see colors. You might see flashes. You might see a little pinpoint of light that kind of drifts around. Or you might be able to see a big, soft, fuzzy light. Like, you know, if your eyes are closed and there's a light shining on your eyelids, and they see that. And like grow and expand, like disappear. Some kind of illumination phenomenon is, is one of these sensations. Another is sound, like a ringing in your ear, or like hearing music in the distance, or buzzing, or something like that. Um, can be very pleasant, or it can be sometimes just a ringing and buzzing that's not particularly pleasant at all. Physical sensations in the body. Uh, takes many different forms. You can feel chills, feelings of warmth, uh, your hair standing on end, goosebumps, uh, feeling like there is uh, feeling of itches, or feeling like there's ants or some kind of insect crawling on you. A lot of those odd sensations like that. Movements, uh, very common to find your fingers or your thumbs, your hands beginning to tremble or to twitch. Uh, sometimes there will be a feeling that your body just starts to rock and you didn't intend it to rock but, and you can stop it. But then you just go back to meditating and your body starts to rock again or sway from side to side. Sometimes you begin to salivate. You find yourself swallowing and swallowing and swallowing. What is all this salivation? Or your eyes can start to tear, or your nose will start to run, or something like that. Uh, quite a few different strange sensations that can occur. Sensations of energy currents moving in your body are a very distinctive one. Uh, it can start with uh, a very fine vibratory tingling on your skin you might experience. It's rather pleasant. Then it may uh, take the form of being more like an electric current. Like, you know how it is when not a really strong but a mild electric current passes through your body and you feel it. Or it can be more shocking than that. It can be really strong, shocking experiences. Usually that's associated with physical jerking. Your body will jump up suddenly your spine will straighten or something like that. All of these various sensations and movements may seem to have very little to do with joy. But the connection is that these experiences in meditation, these experiences precede the arising of a strong sense of experience of joy. Um, and usually uh, they're, they're a temporary phenomenon. They pass away and the joy becomes stronger, uh, but the other sensations begin to disappear. Some of the things we mentioned earlier, feeling of pressure on the top of your head or pressure inside your head, 
or pulsating feelings that you might experience. These are all also parts of the same thing. Something is obviously going on in the brain and the mind that's producing these phenomena. Uh, there's nothing to be concerned or worried about. As a matter of fact, there's most especially nothing to become attached to. Uh, they're surprising, they're novel, they're interesting, and so they invite our curiosity and uh, attachment. But they are really just indications of a process that's taking place as a result of the meditation. And it does result in the strong arising of joy and a uh, feeling of uh, happiness associated with the joy. In the, uh, in the Mahayana tradition, the sequence of development is described like this, that first there arises mental pliancy. And mental pliancy is when your mind calms down and uh, there's not a lot of thoughts trying to draw you away. And mental pliancy, as it becomes more fully developed, culminates in effortlessness. So fully developed mental pliancy is when concentration is effortless. As a matter of fact, you have effortless control of your attention. And meditation becomes really easy, and you can do all kinds of meditation practices. You can become totally absorbed in one thing, or you can let go of any meditation object and just open your mind up, be aware of anything, and practice letting things just arise and pass away in your mind without your mind trying to grasp onto them. It's all kinds of things you can do when you develop mental pliancy. But anyway, mental pliancy is, is where your mind begins to become tamed, and uh, there's a quality of effortness that, effortlessness that becomes a part of your practice. Mental pliancy is followed by physical pliancy. Now this is where your body, uh, when physical pliancy is fully developed, your body is perfectly still perfectly comfortable in a pleasant way. There's no no pain, no uncomfortable sensations in your body at all. It just feels really nice, really pleasant to sit there. It's It can be as though there is just, your body is just this shell of subtle, pleasant sensation. And if the thought comes to move to end the meditation. You don't want to. You don't want to move. It is just so nice sitting there. It's really an effort to disrupt this perfect stillness that is physical pliancy. Now these other things that I talked about, they're what happens in the course of development of physical pliancy. There's a pacification of the senses. Um, before there is pacification of the senses, you have discomfort in the body. You have sore joints, and you have pressure of your ankles against the cushion, and you have achy places in your back, and so forth. Before there is, before the physical pliancy comes, that's the kind of body sensation you experience. And through your practice, you're really good at 
just ignoring it and letting it be there. But it's there nevertheless. Uh, as you're meditating, visual images will arise. As you're meditating, you may have verbal thoughts or you may have uh, sounds that are really, that, that they're not arising in the present, they're coming out of some other part of your mind that you experience. But as physical pliancy develops, all of these ordinary sensations begin to disappear. And before you come to the place of this perfect stillness and comfort, you go through a lot of really strange sensations. And it can just be a few, or it can be a whole lot. They can be really strong, or they can be really mild. The same thing with visual aspect of it. As you cease to have images, mental images forming, you begin to have more experience of just a light, an internal light that you experience behind closed, closed eyes. And the same thing as you transition from continuing to be aware of traffic noises and outdoor sign, outside signs and, and hearing self-talk and things like that, you go to this place where there is just like this white noise, some kind of white noise that you experience that replaces it. And that's the development of physical pliancy. Pacification of the senses leads to the full development of physical pliancy. Uh, you may lose awareness of your body altogether. Uh, you may have, a, it, a, it may seem as though your body is in a completely different position than what you know it to be. Your, your body may seem to be so light that it's floating in the air. It may seem to be completely hollow and empty. It's just this thin, this, this thin mem membrane, kind of a pleasant membrane that defines your body. But with pacification of the senses, senses you will reach the state of physical pliancy. Now, physical pliancy is followed by what's called the bliss of physical pliancy. And that's where the pleasurable feeling in your body becomes really distinct. So your body becomes a locus of perfect stillness and a pleasure that has nothing to do with the senses, a pleasure that has nothing to do with your sense organs, but it is experienced as your body. In other words, your, the experience of your body becomes the experience of the pleasantness, the bliss of physical pliancy. Yeah? So how do you reconcile this state with the situation in which you have a real source of physical pain? How do you recognize this? How, how do you reconcile? Reconcile. Uh, well, what you'll find is when this develops, the, the physical pain first recedes to the degree that, that it is insignificant and then it eventually disappears. Altogether. Altogether, yeah. It is a very peculiar thing. It is as though your mind is filtering out sensations that are coming from the actual sense organs now. They're not reaching that level of consciousness that you're at before. 
And then physical, the bliss of physical pliancy is followed by what's called the bliss of mental pliancy, which is, in fact, it is the rapture, it is the joy and the happiness that we talk about, it's the PT and the sukha. So this whole process is named PT in the Theravada system, and uh, well, it's actually named PT, pronounced slightly differently in Sanskrit. Kirti uh, is the way it's pronounced in Sanskrit. The whole process is called PT. But as you can see, it's only the final culmination of it as, as the, the bliss of mental pliancy that gives it its name. And everything else just kind of comes along with it as part of the package. So in meditation, when a meditator reaches a certain stage of concentration, they will go through the evolution of this and they'll arrive at this place of physical pliancy, mental pliancy, bliss of mental and physical pliancy, and we say that PT is fully developed. In the Theravada system, though, whereas the Mahayana system describes these, these stages of pliancy and bliss, the Theravada system gives us another description that is really useful as well. It describes PT as arising in five different grades. Four of them are incomplete, incomplete arising of PT. The first is called minor PT, or minor meditative joy. And there is usually not much joy in there at all. It is the flashes of light, or the sensations in the body, or the movements, or things like that, just happening by themselves unpredictably for short periods of time. But uh, they are, the, they are the, the leading edge of the development of this. And then the next grade, the next grade of PT, that's minor. The next is called momentary, and that's where more of these will occur, more of the whole package of uh, physical pliancy, and sometimes some feelings of joy and happiness too will happen together at the same time, but it won't last very long, and it's still pretty unpredictable. But usually by the time you reach the point where you're experiencing momentary PT, it's happening more often. It's an indication that your skills in meditation are improving, improving to the point where you have these periods of unusual sensations and joy and happiness around. The third grade is called wave-like because starting, starting to be all the different components there, but they'll come and they'll get stronger and then they'll fade away and they'll not be so strong. Might even disappear, but then they'll come back and, it's, and so it's wave-like, they're coming and going. It's sometimes called showering too because you'll feel tingling sensations shower over you. Then the fourth grade, or it's still incomplete, is called uplifting. And now it starts to become very intense, but it still doesn't last that long. It comes and it goes. But the fifth grade is what corresponds to the full development of PT, with the physical pliancy and the mental pliancy and the blisses of physical and mental pliancy. And so this is that distinctive stage in the development of meditation practice. 
It sounds very amazing. It's called rapture. It's like, oh wow, how could that happen? Quite wonderful. And it is quite wonderful. PT is PT and sukha, joy and happiness, are two of the meditation factors that are called jhana factors. Uh, meditation factors in general include concentration, mindful awareness, directed attention, sustained attention, joy, happiness, tranquility, equanimity. These are all factors of development in the course of your meditation. The jhanas are very powerful, deep absorptions that you experience in meditation. And there are four meditation factors, well actually five, but four meditation factors that define the different jhanas that a person can experience. And five factors that have to be present before a person can uh, practice these deep absorptions. And those are directed attention, sustained attention, uh, unification of mind, piti and sukha, joy and happiness. And when those all come together, then when you reach the stage in your practice that uh, those are all present, unification of mind, of course, is accompanied by uh, piti and sukha when it is fully developed. And directed and sustained attention are what you have cultivated that brought you to the point of unification of mind. So when these are all present at the same time, you're capable of engaging in and practicing the meditative absorptions. So these are called jhana factors. And uh, as you proceed through the jhanas, you actually begin to drop these jhana factors one at a time as you enter more and more focused and refined states of consciousness. So at the very least, PT is, meditative joy is a very potent indicator of your progress in developing these particular skills, these particular mental factors. And their presence allows you to do certain kinds of practices, such as the jhana practices, which you may not be familiar with them, but the jhana practices are an extremely powerful way of doing vipassana, but it requires very, very strong concentration to do that. But aside from that, we find PT joy being mentioned in other contexts, and one of them is as an enlightenment factor. And uh, getting a little late today, I have to continue some of this tomorrow. But uh, joy is an enlightenment factor. Now we've talked a lot about joy, the nature of joy, how it causes the mind to function. I'm just wondering if uh, you can extrapolate from anything that we said enough to see why. Uh, why joy might be considered an enlightenment factor. Or actually, the word I like better is awakening. It's one of the seven factors of awakening. Let me tell you what the others are, and then you can tell me how, how you think joy might fit in there. The other uh, factors of awakening are energy, investigation, 
concentration, mindful awareness, joy, tranquility, and equanimity. Actually, you might might not be able to see why any of these are factors of awakening. I think of them as um, as sort of a, a nourishment and a source um, that I can tap into. Um, sometimes it sort of seems continuously, but sometimes it seems different ones at different times. Mm-hmm. Well, equanimity, tranquility, joy, concentration, mindful awareness, yes, these are all very useful things that you can develop and you can tap into at different times. And it's like a nourishment for my practice and also yeah. a nourishment in yeah. life. And, and they are, it's, it's absolutely true. These, these meditation factors are uh, factors of awakening because if, you, if they are fully developed, you can, they prepare the mind. They, make the mind. they put the mind in a kind of condition where it's capable of becoming awakened. The other two factors of awakening are energy. And energy is another one that we can see you know, goes together with everything else. The other one is investigation. Investigation is something that you do. It's really more applying. I've got these things, now how do I use them? I use them by investigating. And awakening, it's like waking up from a dream. It's like, uh, it's because you come to a new state of knowing, of knowledge, of wisdom. And that, that knowledge and that wisdom arises as a result of your investigation of yourself, your experience of what's going on, of reality, leading to insight. And so all of these seven factors of awakening, they come together to bring you to the point where you gain insight, knowledge, wisdom, and it brings you from the state of going through life uh, trapped in a dream to being awake. Energy, by the way, you translate that one as energy, but it really, whereas it, it is energy in the sense that you have to have the that inner energy drive, whatever, to carry out the investigation, then you can have the other five factors in enlightenment without energy and without investigation. And I, in some ways, better translation of the word viria, which we translate as energy, would be diligence. It's more describing how you go about carrying out this investigation. So an energetic or diligent investigation carried out by a mind that is imbued with these other factors of well-developed concentration, mindfulness, joy, tranquility, and equanimity. But this kind of brings us back to 
the question of what is the value and usefulness of joy in this. I mean, I think you can see why concentration, attentional stability is important. If you're going to investigate reality, you need a mind that you can focus on whatever it is that you want to investigate, right? can't afford to have a mind that's just jumping all over the place, whatever uh, whatever it happens to find interesting in the moment or running away from whatever it doesn't want to look at in the moment, which is actually an important part of it. That's, that's part of what keeps us in the dream, is that when your mind doesn't want to look at something, it <laughs> takes off. And not only does it take off, but it produces this big smokescreen of all these thoughts about why you shouldn't be looking at things like that. <laughs> so concentration, see why that's, that's useful. Mindful awareness, yeah. Powerful mindful awareness. If you're going to, if you're going to investigate your mind, investigate reality, I think you can see why you need that. How about joy, tranquility, and equanimity? It seems like a lot of them are these like interesting collection of feedback loops where, you know, I was thinking about this once during meditation, where it seems like to really have um, kind of strong concentration, it's really useful to have equanimity. And equanimity is developed alongside because it's that grasping towards other things that is, you know, kind of settled through equanimity that allows the concentration to persist. Mm -hmm. And similarly to have like the joy can be harnessed towards the energy and the diligence because like you've talked about before, having a positive, um, you know, conditioning of certain processes, you have joy every time you sit down, you want to sit down. And um, so all they, they all seem to kind of like loop into each other and create this kind of blossoming system. Yeah, that's, that's very good, yes, that's exactly true. They do, they, they develop together, they interact with each other, they reinforce each other. You can't really develop concentration without developing mindful awareness. It's just not simply possible. Mindful awareness allows allows you to see what's going on in your mind and to realize what's getting in the way of your concentration. It, well, I mean, in the very beginning, it's what allows you to know that when you're, that you're not paying attention to what you attempted to pay attention to. And then as you go along, it's mindful awareness that alerts you to the distractions that threaten to carry you away from it, or the dullness that's present that threatens to carry you away from it. But, uh, nor could you really develop mindful awareness without concentration, because how do you develop powerful mindful awareness if you can't rein in the monkey mind that's constantly bouncing around everywhere? Joy, tranquility, and equanimity are all a part of this. Yes, we need, as equanimity develops, we find it easier to disregard distractions and develop concentration. And equanimity allows us to exercise mindful awareness in a way that we stop uh, jumping to conclusions and judging. And instead of exercising mindful awareness, we slip into, if we don't have equanimity, uh, we start off being mindfully aware of an object, but in no time at all, we slipped into a whole process of thinking about it and judging it. And we're no longer seeing it as it is. We're no longer exercising mindful awareness. We're, slip back into our fantasies once again. All of these things very much work together and they're intertwined and they develop together. Joy has a very interesting role to play in this. If you think about joy as, as we 
as we've talked about it and hopefully as you've come to to experience it to some degree or another uh, in either meditation or other practices like we did at lunch. And if not, I want you to do this. Joy frees the mind. It is particularly liberating because your mind is normally under the compulsion of craving, of desire and aversion. You, your, your most fundamental programming is to pursue pleasure and avoid displeasure. Most fundamental programming. Joy liberates you from that, especially meditative joy, internally generated joy, joy that is not dependent upon external things. Because, well, it provides you with pleasure. By seeing things in a positive and wholesome way, you experience pleasure. You don't need to pursue it. Yet, as we mentioned, even that which is unpleasant is less so. So it, it reduces the compulsion of aversion. We don't need to keep running away from things. When you're in a state of joy, you can let it come and you can let it go. You don't need to grasp onto the pleasures. You can let them go. You don't need to run away from, from what's unpleasant. You can let it come. You can let all of it come and go. It is conducive to the development of equanimity and tranquility. Now, when joy first develops, it's not quite so liberating because it's very exciting and because it excites your appetite for pleasure. And so you want more of it. Oh, this is wonderful. Oh, I want more of this. And sometimes you're just so filled with the energy of joy that you can't even continue to practice. It's just like, you're too excited. I have to go tell somebody about it. <laughs> I've got to, you know, I, I, teaching meditation, it's wonderful when this happens. But it's happened quite a few times in the middle of a retreat. Somebody, they don't wait for an interview. They come seek me out and say, oh, I got to tell you what's happening to me or what I had or what I'm experiencing. Yeah, it's, all, it's all the joy and it's wonderful. I'm so happy for them they got to that place. But now they have to go back and get used to it. And let the energy of joy subside so that tranquility, the joy becomes accompanied by tranquility. So that now instead of this agitated excitement, you still have the joy, you still have the positive perspective on everything and you still have the experience of pleasantness that's not dependent upon circumstances being in a particular way. You're liberated from that, but now you're no longer all jazzed up by all of this energy and you can enjoy the tranquility of it. In the Mahayana system of description that I uh, was uh, laying out for you earlier, the last two steps are the subsidence of the bliss of physical pliancy followed by the subsidence of the bliss of mental pliancy. So, um, and, and this is the full culmination of the process. It's when the, with, with the subsidence of the intensity of the bliss of physical pliancy that we now have joy with tranquility. And so, and then the equanimity can, can become fully developed. 
So joy is important as an enlightenment factor. It prepares the mind. Concentration and mindful awareness prepare the mind in one way. Joy, tranquility, and equanimity prepare the mind in another way. They liberate the mind from its reactivity, from its compulsive pursuit and avoidance behaviors. They stabilize the mind. Then uh, the very definition of equanimity is really non-reactivity of the mind. They also, because joy puts your mind in a state of an, of an experience of happiness, of pleasantness that is independent of circumstances, it is a very good place for your mind to be when you confront some of the most frightening realities, which are in fact the insights that you need to see to become truly liberated. And if you have if you have a mind that is in a state of joy, joy with tranquility and equanimity, this is a mind that it can confront anything. It's a mind that can confront the reality of no self, the reality of the emptiness of the world that you've been so attached to, and can allow you to see it for what it is without without experiencing terror and misery and, and, and the feeling of lostness and hopelessness, which uh, otherwise you might be susceptible to. So it's a very important factor of enlightenment. There are some meditation practices which don't deliberately cultivate joy and it's after four o'clock so that's, I'm going to wait till tomorrow to, to talk about that but the particular path that I teach and follow is one where we cultivate concentration and mindful awareness and we do it in such a way that you develop joy, tranquility and equanimity along with it then you can investigate reality with diligence and you're able to confront and accept whatever your investigations present to you. Anyway, I'm going to call things to a close right now and I'll see you tomorrow morning at 9. We'll carry on with this. Um, If you have a chance to look over the handout that I gave you, Obviously, in the amount of time that we have, I'm not going to talk in detail about all these things. So so that's why I'd like you to have a look at it. And then, while we do have some time tomorrow, if there's there's questions and specific things about what you see there that you'd like to talk more about, then we can do so. Practice being in the state of joy. Be mindful of what you're attending to. The perceptions your mind is generating in response to what you attend to, and the feelings that are arising. And that is a kind of effort, and I know you'll tend to forget to do that and slip into your habitual way of being. But as much as you can, if you keep rubbing those sticks together, maybe some of you will come tomorrow and say, well, it happened. It took off by itself. And happy. <laughs> so, okay. Thank you very much, and good afternoon.